Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By Vortex Optics. With the VIP warranty, their unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. Learn more at vortexoptics.com. And Video Books, an independent, family owned bookstore carrying one of the largest selections of birding books in the world. Videobooks.com. Good morning. Welcome to our show, number 872. Well, the story that lots of folks are talking about this week concerns the hundreds of yellow-headed blackbirds that apparently fell from the sky, many of them crashing fatally into the ground in the northern Mexico city of Cuauhtémoc. Lots of speculation about what caused this, like inhaling toxic fumes from a heater nearby, or because of an overcharge from electricity cables, or maybe more outlandishly, Interference from 5G technology or collision with an invisible spaceship. Uh, But experts like the Cornell Lab of Ornithology's Kevin McGowan says the only thing that makes sense is that the birds were fleeing from a predator. And that some mistakes were made in their escape attempts. When they're being attacked by a predator like a falcon or a hawk or an owl, all of which inhabit that area, the birds inch closer together to form a tight-knit pack and make quick twisting motions that confuse the predator, but sometimes misjudge their speed or distance to the ground, leading to the uncommon but obviously not unheard of result of a flock of birds being dumped from the sky. And we'll keep an eye on this and see if other uh, ideas or theories emerge. A few weeks ago, we reported on a study showing that in a few areas of the country, bald eagles were falling victim increasingly to lead poisoning, especially from spent hunting ammunition. Well, now a new study has expanded the survey to 38 states and has come to apparently a similar conclusion, saying that almost half of bald and golden eagles in the U.S. have lead poisoning. That could spell bad news for the continued recovery of both of these species. Conservation groups have pushed for bans on lead ammunition. California barred its use in 2019. That was partly to protect the imperiled California condor. But the authors of this study say educating hunters about lead poisoning and suggesting alternative ammunition, such as copper bullets, can be more fruitful than those blanket restrictions. And they say that while the hunting community remains mostly unaware of lead's impact on eagles, education programs show that hunters are very receptive to learning about it. So that's the good news there if that learning translates to some action. What we're hearing here is our mystery bird. We'll be doing the actual mystery bird contest in a little bit, but this is a little preview, so you'll be ready to give us a call when we give the signal. We tend to almost run out of time on our contest, so we want to get that info out there as quickly as we can. Here are some clues. Our mystery bird is a small dabbler. It has a yellow or yellowish tail stripe and an iridescent green patch in the wings. The colorful male sports a white vertical stripe up to the shoulder with a dark reddish and green head. 
Our bird breeds through Alaska and Canada, southward to the northern Great Plains and Great Lakes, and winters in the southern two-thirds of the U.S., and all the way down to southern Mexico. It forages for seeds and aquatic insects and mollusks in shallow ponds and along the coast in tidal creeks and mudflats and marshes. A little preview there of our mystery bird and prizes include a $15 gift certificate for Beautio Books, home to one of the largest selections in the world of bird-themed books. And our new prize here, a month's supply of Mary's Gone Crackers Super Seed Crackers. Four boxes from the largest organic and gluten-free cracker company in the U.S. baking their delicious crackers in their bakery in Reno, Nevada. Mary's Gone Crackers. If we have time for a bonus question, we'll also put in the offering a certificate for Wisdom Supply, makers of those plastic-free books and notepads and journals. All coming along here on our Mystery Bird Contest uh, this morning. It's our royal salute to the royalty of our Talking Birds listener audience, and that would be our ambassadors who... Let us send them, send them some of our little info cards to hand out to their friends. And thank you to Aaron Smith from Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And <laughs> she says, I just discovered your radio podcast and I'm obsessed. She says, not sure how granular your podcast results are, but if you're wondering who from Canada listened to 30 hours of your show last weekend, it was me. <laughs> I hope you're okay, Aaron, and thank you so much for becoming an ambassador and for all that listening. And thank you to Heidi G. from nearby Medfield, Massachusetts. Thank you for your kind comments to Heidi and for becoming an ambassador. Well, Talking Birds listeners, if you heard our two previous shows, you know that we're on a quest when it comes to our ambassador's family. Specifically, that we're hoping to grow the family to a total of 700 members by the end of this short month of February. We are very, very close to reaching the goal, but obviously don't have much time. So if you've ever thought of maybe becoming a Talking Birds ambassador, well, this would be the perfect time to do it. It's as easy as ever to be an ambassador by handing out at your convenience those little info cards to fellow birders and potential birders and signing up really simple via the Get Involved tab at the top of the Talking Birds dot com homepage. That's the Get Involved tab at Talking Birds. There's no G in Talking. Dot com. Still to come on our show today, we'll welcome the author of a fascinating book about whether the ivory-billed woodpecker might still exist, along with some advice about how to avoid thinking mistakes in considering this and other questions. Plus, we'll meet up with Mike. Mike O'Connor, that is, in a Let's Ask Mike live segment about pine grosbeaks. And up next, a long-legged walking warbler that will soon be headed north again as today's featured feathered friend presented by Birdwatching Magazine. For more than a quarter century, Birdwatching has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. Introducing the New York Warbler. Well, that's a name that was once applied to today's featured feathered friend. Apparently because, for a small bird, it's pretty loud, as parts of New York are said sometimes to be. In its scientific species epithet, 
Nova Borosensis means of New York. It's also of, well, most of the U.S. during migration, nesting up in Canada and wintering in Central and South America. It's the northern water thrush. A small, long-bodied songbird with an olive-brown back, pale yellow to buff underparts with dark stripes, and a pretty distinctive buff-colored eye stripe. Like its close and very similar relative, the Louisiana water thrush, it bobs its tail constantly, and it sings like this. The northern water thrush is generally found near and sometimes in slow-moving streams, ponds, and bogs in breeding season, and in a variety of wooded habitats during winter and on migration. It feeds on insects and snails and sometimes small fish. Although many northern water thrushes perish each year from hunting by domestic cats and from collisions with buildings and towers, their population has managed to grow by about 54% since 1970 to an estimated global population of 17 million. So it's considered to be of low conservation concern. Today's Talkin' Birds featured feathered friend, Parkesia novaborosensis, the northern water thrush, or New York warbler. Thanks again for being with us, and welcome again to our show number 872. Dr. J. Christopher Haney is a biologist, conservation scientist, and lifelong birder. For 12 years, he was chief scientist at Defenders of Wildlife. In 2010, following the Deepwater Horizon oil blowout, he was invited by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service to lead the largest pelagic study of marine birds ever conducted in the Gulf of Mexico. Since 2013, he's been president of Terramar Applied Scientists or Sciences, an independent public interest conservation research firm which he founded. And he's the author of a fascinating and challenging new book entitled Woody's Last Laugh, How the Extinct, in quotes, Ivory-Billed Woodpecker Fools Us into Making 53 Thinking Errors. And he joins us now from Washington, D.C. Good morning, Chris. Thank you, Ray. Thanks for having me. Wonderful to have you uh, and to talk about your amazing book. Um, and tell us about that title, Woody's Last Laugh. What, is, uh, what does that mean exactly? Well, it dates me because it's a <laughs> reference to you know the 1930s comic strip where Woody the Woodpecker sets up mm-hmm. Wally Walrus for constant pranks. Mm-hmm. And Wally keeps falling for them each and every time. So... In my um, analogy, the ivory bill is like Woody, we're like Wally Rawrus, and we keep getting tricked by this bird. Hmm. Well, the subtitle, How the Extinct, in quotes, Ivory Bill Woodpecker Fools Us into Making 53 uh, Thinking Errors. I probably make 53 thinking errors without, you know, without even trying, without, uh, you know, probably in just one of those things. But um, that's kind of striking to think there are that many thinking errors what what are some of them what are some of the most uh, troublesome oh well there there's a, a huge list uh, hundreds actually hmm. 
And, you know, I managed to identify some 50 uh, attached to the Ivory Bill Woodpecker and our dealings with it. You know, I think one of the ones that we humans are quite prone to in our everyday lives, you know, just in a, in, as a routine matter of interacting with our children and our spouses, is something called attribution error. Mm-hmm. We think we know the intentions behind someone's actions or speech, and we have this illusion of transparency that we can see inside them, or even that they can see inside us. Mm. And of course, that doesn't work. Um, And so we often misdiagnose why someone does something. And that that kind of attribution error is really, really common. Mm -hmm. How would you apply that particularly to the, the discussion of the Irie Bill? Sure. Here's a good example. One of the hypotheses for why there are so many sighting reports of ivory-billed woodpecker since the 1940s, when many people believe it went extinct, is that people are going out and through wishful thinking or a kind of observer expectancy effect, you know, they're we want to see an ivory bill, or they want to see an ivory bill. And so they're doing, they're generating these sightings of ivory bills that really aren't. Mm-hmm. It's a crow with sunlight on the wings. It's just a pileated woodpecker. Mm-hmm. And if we make that kind of stereotypical judgment about, in this case, a 100 or more sighting reports, that is an attribution error. And it's a fairly serious mm-hmm. one because we simply don't know what they saw and we don't mm-hmm. know what their intentions were. One of the mistakes you cite is uh, called the Romeo error. And I should mention, too, that uh, you have an article in the current issue, the April issue of Birdwatching Magazine, uh, about that specific thing. In fact, that is your title, The Romeo Error, When Bird Extinctions Resemble Shakespearean Tragedy. Um, Tell us about the the Romeo error and how it applies to all this. Well, simply put, the Romeo error is a false conclusion of death when there's really life. Mm -hmm. So it comes from the Shakespearean tragedy in which um, Romeo falsely believed that Juliet was dead, so he took his own life. And when she woke up, saw that he was dead, then she took her own life, too. So it was almost a double tragedy. Mm-hmm. A Romeo Air got applied to animal extinctions in the early 1990s. And it was actually a case with a bird that was thought to be extinct, the Cebu flowerpecker. And it turned out to be very much alive. And over time, it was rediscovered in not just one location, but I believe three or four locations mm-hmm. on that one Philippine island. So Romeo error is now used for any kind of animal or plant that was thought to be dead, thought to be gone, but then later rediscovered to be very much alive. Mm-hmm. And that process of a bird kind of, or an animal or a plant, resurrecting is called a Lazarus effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is very common. Uh, there have been hundreds of these cases uh, in the last uh, century. Well, you sent me a collage of photographs of birds that have um, proven that Lazarus effect. Um, <laughs> and they're pretty striking, especially the the one right here in the central, the, in the center, uh, the Bermuda petrel, gone in 1620 and refound in 1951, missing for more than three 
hundred years, and you wonder how is that possible? It's striking because, you know, the Bermuda Islands are a well-known vacation destination. They're small. They're right off the southeastern United States, and they've been uh, heavily occupied and settled for those hundreds mm-hmm. of years. Plus, the Bermuda petrel is not tiny. It's medium-sized bird, and it ranges over open ocean. So how we missed it in 300 years, I think... I believe it's a sobering lesson that we're not omniscient and we aren't very good at predicting animal extinctions, particularly individual cases of them. Mm-hmm. So much wisdom in, in your book, Chris. I, I, have to, I have to wonder if you've thought of marketing this book as a kind of a self-help guide to uh, making decisions in non-Ivory Bill-related activities. <laughs> well, I, I, I've certainly thought about translating into... Uh, interactive exercises to help people in my field in science make better decisions uh, and in conservation make better decisions. It, it, it has made a big difference in my marriage, <laughs> just writing the book. Um, I become much more cautious about rushing to a conclusion when I mm-hmm. think I know everything and being a little bit more uh, cautious or a little uh, taking longer all to get right. to that decision. Well, thank you for that, and your and your wife thanks you uh, also <laughs> for that. So one other thing, uh, Chris, while we have a little bit of time, tiny bit of time left, uh, you say earlier in the book, readers at the very outset may ask, even demand, to know on which side of that grand divide I belong. That is, whether I personally deem the ivory-billed woodpecker to be still living or instead forever gone. And you couch this in terms of what you'd be most surprised about, whether it was extinct, really, or not extinct, which would surprise you more? Yeah, so I, I try to hide as long as I can in saying I don't know. <laughs> and that, and that's truly what I do believe. I don't know, and I'm not sure my guess would be any better than the next person's. But if um, I were pinned into a corner and say, which of those two would surprise me more? Is it dead or is it still there? I think I would probably be more surprised that it's extinct. Hmm. Um, not by a whole lot, mm-hmm. you know, but, but by something measurably more than 50-50, I, I would be more surprised that all individuals of this bird are gone. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I also would be most surprised if this happened decades ago. Mm-hmm. Um if it happened yesterday, that wouldn't surprise me mm-hmm. as much. Mm-hmm. But if it, you know, if I could learn that and know for sure that the ivory bill had really gone extinct in the 1940s, that would shock me, mm-hmm. actually. Dr. J. Christopher Haney is author of Woody's Last Laugh, How the Extinct, in quotes, ivory billed Woodpecker Fools Us into Making 53 Thinking Errors. Thank you for this wonderful book, Chris, and thanks for being w- with us. Thank you, Ray. J. Christopher Haney here on Talking Birds. And up next, it's our mystery bird contest in just one minute. The flutter of a tail feather. The flash of a wing bar in mid-flight. You don't always have a lot of time to identify a bird in nature, let alone to appreciate its beauty. But with Vortex Optics, you'll have the power to bring every wild moment closer. When you choose Vortex, you're choosing to have a partner in the field as passionate about nature as you are. 
Whether you're spotting old friends on the backyard feeder or packing for a once-in-a-lifetime trip to add a few species to your life list, Vortex offers a full range of optics and optics accessories for every birder and every budget. And whether the birds are taking you to another state or another country, you're always covered by the Vortex VIP warranty, an unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. If you'd like to learn more or if you need help choosing your next optic, Give Vortex a call at 1-800-4-VORTEX or visit vortexoptics.com. <laughs> Listening to the sounds and the flight of our mystery bird. It's our mystery bird contest. And first, this important reminder about that. If you're not hearing our show live and would like to, so you could, for example, enter our mystery bird contest, just go to talkingbirds.com. And you can see how to do it. Very simple to do. 781-837-4900 is the number to call on our Mystery Bird Contest. We'll give that number again while we urge you to call as soon as you possibly can for a chance to win some of these beautiful prizes, including a $15 gift certificate for Beautio Books, home of one of the largest selections of bird-themed books in the world, and a month's supply of Mary's Gone Crackers Super Seed Crackers, four boxes. They are really good. Well, our mystery bird is a small dabbler. It has a yellowish tail stripe and an iridescent green patch in the wings. The colorful male sports a white vertical stripe up to the shoulder with a dark reddish and green head. Our bird breeds throughout Alaska and Canada, southward to northern Great Plains and Great Lakes, and winters in southern two-thirds of the U.S., and all, all the way down to southern Mexico. It feeds by foraging on seeds and aquatic insects and mollusks in shallow ponds and along the coast in tidal creeks, mudflats, and marshes. Now, that would be our mystery bird, and I think we're hearing it again there. Here it is. So here's that number again. Call us as soon as you can to give us your guess. Or give us a definitive answer. Don't forget, a guess could make you a winner because if nobody gets the exact answer, we'll do a drawing from among answers received. So uh, give it a try. That number again, 781-837-4900. Meanwhile, Mike O'Connor has some thoughts about pine grosbeaks. That's Let's Ask Mike live in just one minute. Beautio Books carries one of the largest selections of birding books in the world. New, used, and rare books covering everything from backyard birding to general ornithology. From field guides to photography skills, biography, fiction, and humor. You'll find it all along with the knowledgeable customer service you've been looking for in one convenient place. Beautiobooks.com B-U-T-E-O Beautiobooks.com my name is Bob Dininger, and I'm calling from Westwood, Massachusetts. What I like about being a Talking Birds ambassador is the enthusiasm it creates, and enthusiasm is contagious. Becoming a Talking Birds ambassador allows you to be connected to other people and to share the passion that you have for birds. Talking Birds listeners, we hope you'll join our ambassadors family. Just visit our website, TalkingBirds.com. Join today, and thanks. 
It's down to the Bird Watchers General Store. That would be in Orleans, uh, down past the elbow of Cape Cod, Massachusetts. Mike O'Connor there from the Bird Watchers General Store. Good morning, Mike. Yeah, well, not the elbow. Elbow is Chatham, so we're on the inside of the elbow or the elbow pit, as yeah. they call it. Well, I said past the elbow, isn't that yeah, sort yeah. of? That, no, not quite right. Look. I was just trying to get the elbow pit uh, line in there. That's all. <laughs> Nice. You don't hear that much on the radio anymore, so I forgot yeah. to mention that. Nice job. For those not familiar with Cape Cod, check out a map and you'll see. You'll see what he's talking about. The elbow <laughs> and the the inner elbow there. Uh, and, and inner elbow sounds better than elbow pit, I guess. You're right. It kind of does, yeah. Well, how about these comments? I'm just writing down some notes from our earlier conversation off the air, and I see eating sand, road salt. This is not referring to any of your customers or anything. This is um, about a, the pine grosbeak. Pine Grosbeak, yeah. right? One of your listeners, speaking of one of your listeners, uh, sent me some photos, and she's got she lives up in Quebec, Andre, and she's got a crazy amount of birds at her she feeders, does. And, and she and, and it's been pretty good. But then she sent me some photos of birds she didn't understand. They weren't at her feeder; they were in her neighbor's driveway mm. eating sand, and they were uh, pine grosbeaks. Pine grosbeaks is a bird that most. Americans, uh, when I say Americans, USA Americans, mm-hmm. I'm familiar with because they spend most of their life in Canada. There's a few places in some of the higher mountains of the western part of the uh, United States that you can find them breeding, but most of them breed in Canada, and they really come much far farther south of the border, so we don't get to see them so much, but this is a pine grosbeak, a little bit uh, like a giant uh, almost like a giant purple finch or a giant house finch. Mm-hmm. They're big, and they come readily to feeders, but they also eat, uh, you can see them on the side of the road. I've seen them on the side of the road occasionally eating sand mm-hmm. and often salt, too. Though Those and uh, crossbills have noted to be particularly attracted to salt for some reason that isn't totally understood. It's some mm-hmm. kind of dietary need. Birds have the ability to process salt at some point. And so that you see them on the side of the road. So these birds in, in her area were not necessarily excited about her feeders, but they did like the sand in her neighbor's driveway. Mm-hmm. And it, and interesting with these birds, they go on the side of the road. They're not particularly uh, afraid of cars. Uh, and in Newfoundland, uh, these uh, pine growth speaks are super tame. Well, they're super tame everywhere, but in Newfoundland, they call them mopes because they're just slow-moving, and you'll land in a bush next to you, and they're not particularly afraid. They just poke along. And so when they get into a road, they're often hit by cars. Mm. A few years ago, we had a huge outbreak uh, here on Cape of crossbills, which is a similar bird, and people were sadly bringing in, like, bags of them. They were always getting hit by cars because they're not necessarily used to cars. Mm-hmm. And I think when they ingest so much the road salt, even though they, I don't know if it's you know fatal to them, but it does kind of make them a little groggy and they're mm-hmm. not really uh, you know, they, they kind of get lethargic and yeah. not what, really fast. What about the sand? Is that thought to be a gizzard thing? or? Is, yeah, I think yeah. so. Right. A lot of these birds are seed eaters mm-hmm. and so to help digest the food they, they'll eat sand and when it gets here, you know, or most places we don't. We're not totally covered with sand all the time, but up in Canada they are. So when mm-hmm. they, for, I mean, for good long periods. So when the sanders go by, the birds say, ah, "Here's some sand for my gizzard," yeah. and, mm-hmm. and they, they ingest it. But what's mm-hmm. interesting if if you want to see a pine grosbeak, and you should, 
Punch up uh, the Ontario feeder cam that our friends at Cornell put out, oh, yeah. and it's beautiful. And you can watch the gross beaks there all the time. They're at the feeder, and mm-hmm. they're, they're going all the time. You might want to see that before right, I get played off. The Ontario feeder cam, courtesy of the Cornell Lab, and thanks to Andre up there in uh, in um, Quebec to, for sending uh, all those uh, pictures and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good. Yeah, she's always she's always sending me cool stuff. So she's got a good, lot of good stuff going on there. See you next week, Mike. Sounds great. All right. Bye. All right. Bye. Back to the Mystery Bird contest, uh, actually, right after this. Every Wednesday, Birdwatching Magazine sends an e-newsletter full of information of interest to birdwatchers, including recent news stories about birds, conservation, and science, photography tips, stories about places to go birding, bird ID tips, and much more. Best of all, the newsletter is free. Sign up today at birdwatchingdaily.com slash newsletter. All right, back to the Mystery Bird Contest. While time allows, Brett is in Kingston, Massachusetts. Good morning, Brett. Good morning, how are you? Good morning, good morning. Doing well. What about that bird, uh, Brett? What do you say? Is it the green-winged teal? I believe it is. In fact, I'm pretty sure of it, yes. <laughs> green-winged teal is right. Nice job, and stay on the line, Brett, and we'll get your info and send you those prizes. Okay, thank you. Thanks for the call. Next week on our show... We have a special guest uh, talking about uh, an amazing bird among the most brilliant or smart raptors. Um, it's called the striated caracara. We'll learn about that and lots of other things on next week's show. Thanks to our amazing Talking Birds team, Debbie Bleacher, Freya McGregor, Special Assistant Audrey Stack, and our producing engineer, Jesse Wilkins. I'm Ray Brown. See you next week. The bird show. I like that. I Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Birdwatchers General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By Vortex Optics. With the VIP warranty, their unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. Learn more at vortexoptics.com. And Beautyo Books, an independent, family owned bookstore carrying one of the largest selections of birding books in the world. Beautyobooks.com.